that we will look at because this one is the one that's preached on probably the most of the seven. And, and in a lot of ways, this is always a difficult message because I believe it strikes at the heart of all of us to some degree. Uh, there is a difference between living lukewarm and occasionally becoming lukewarm. And I hope we can differentiate those two things today. I think all of us are guilty at times of becoming lukewarm. But hopefully if you're a believer that you are not living lukewarm. And I will argue the fact that if you can live that way habitually, that the Bible says you are not in fact a true follower of Christ. So this is a tough text to look at, and I'm going to invite you, if you're able, one time, one last time with me to stand this morning. We're going to read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray today that we would have that ear to hear what you have to say to our church and to our life. Father, I pray again that you would increase and I would decrease and that everything here today points to you and not us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I am excited to be here today. It's just been a great day already. I've anticipated anytime there's the baptisms and the newer music and things. But ultimately, my anticipation is to preach the Word of God. It is, it is the power of God. The gospel is that power. And every time that we stand in the pulpit or any time that we open the word of God, there is an expectation that God can and will do something in your life. And so it's my prayer today that through this message, you would be moved to action, you'd be moved to salvation, or you would just be moved in general to, ha- to follow the Lord's command. I want to read to you a quote from the great preacher John Stott who said this, Apathy is the acceptance of the unacceptable. Apathy is the acceptance of the unacceptable. That could be the catchphrase for our culture today. The acceptance of the unacceptable. And while we expect that in the world, we should never tolerate it in the church. We should never see that in the lives of God's people. We should not accept what the Word of God calls unacceptable. And yet many have forsaken the truth and followed their own way. And we look at these seven churches, we've talked about the fact that these were real churches. They weren't just allegories, they weren't just figurative language. They were real churches that existed in the historical narrative that we are looking at today. But many folks would argue that these churches do in fact represent different eras. And if that is in fact the case, then I would argue that we are living today, at least in this country, in the Laodicean church age. The age of lukewarmness. The age where people are not concerned about being hot or cold. They're just indifferent. They just don't care. 
about the things of God. I hope that that is not true of this church. I'm not saying that that is a sweeping indictment of every church this morning in America. But I would argue that it makes up the majority of churches in America today, sadly. And so when we look at Laodicea, I think just even the background of that church points to America itself. Laodicea was, in fact, probably the richest of all of the churches that laid in a trade route, and so people were constantly coming and going with different commerce, and it became a very wealthy and rich and affluent city in that time. They had theaters everywhere. The main square was lined with shops for people to buy all sorts of things. There were temples, as were in many of these towns, of any kind of god that you wanted to worship or goddess. They had a huge banking center. Literally banks where people could come in and exchange money and and do different types of banking. They were famous for making this black wool that was known all over the world and coveted by people all over the world. And they even had a medical center where they studied medicine. And guess what they were known for making there? It goes right into our text. They made a salve that people would put on their eyes when they had eye conditioned and it was supposed to cure many of those problems. And so as we see Jesus' indictment of them, we see that He understands who they are. He knows all things about them and us. And He relates their situation in the material world to their condition in the spiritual one. He shows them that in fact they aren't as rich as they think they are. They don't see as good as they think they do. They're not as prosperous as the world would say that they are. And friends, you can have everything in the world and be bankrupt spiritually. You can have everything that the world would offer and be far, far from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the danger, is to accumulate all kinds of worldly wealth and miss out on eternity with Jesus. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. So let's look at what Jesus says to this church and perhaps what He is saying to us today. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen. In the the original language, that's pronounced Amen. We don't say it that way. We say Amen. But have you ever asked, why do we say that? What does that mean? Is it just a word that we tack on at the end of our prayers? What exactly are we saying there? It literally means, so be it, or may it be done. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We are asking Him to have His way. He is in complete control and authority. What we've prayed, what we believe, so be it. Let it be done. That is the idea. And Jesus takes that on as a title. He calls Himself the Amen. The one that is in control. The so be it, if you will. Everything that He has spoken will come to pass. He talks about His faithfulness. It speaks of His sovereignty over all things. All that is is found in that Word. And not only does He call Himself the Amen, but He reiterates the fact, and I'm sure glad of this today, He is the faithful and true witness. When we are unfaithful, Jesus remains faithful. In a world full of falsehoods, Jesus is true. His testimony is true. He bears witness to the truth. And He is, in fact, the beginning of of all creation. He is supreme, my friends. He is worthy of our worship. Man worships many things, but only God is worthy. He is the beginning and the creator of all things. That is, in fact, how Jesus introduces Himself to this church. And these things that Jesus says of Himself contradict 
exactly or go in opposition to exactly how Laodicea and its inhabitants live their life. Completely opposite of that. He goes on and says to them in verse 15, listen to what he says, I know your works. Jesus knows our works or lack thereof. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish, literally what he's saying, or I long that you were cold or hot. Again, if we understand the city, this will make sense. Laodicea laid in a high plain. It had an elaborate aqueduct system. They had already figured out how to pipe running water into the city way back then. And in between the city on either side were two other towns. One was called Heropolis. The other you've probably heard of because Paul wrote a letter there called Colossians to the place called Colossae. So you have Heropolis, Colossae, and Laodicea in the middle. Well, here's how this worked. Heropolis was well known for its hot springs. Hot water where people would come for medicinal and healing purposes. And in Colossae, they were at the base of a mountain where ice cold water would run down from the hills. And so Laodicea said, we'll pump in hot water from Heropolis and we'll pump in ice cold water from Colossae. The problem was these were miles and miles away. So what do you think happens to the hot water and the cold water by the time it travels slowly through these pipes for miles and miles? It's lukewarm. Do we have some coffee drinkers here today? Brother George, you better get that hand up. I know, I know, I know that hand, other than Emily, that hand ought to probably go way up there. So here's the thing. Who's, who, are hot, who are my hot coffee fans? Who are my iced coffee fans? Who are my lukewarm coffee fans? Nathan, get out of here. This is for you today. You, you best be right up here today. If you like lukewarm coffee, we're going to we're gonna have to have a counseling session after that. Most normal people don't like lukewarm coffee, Nathan. You like it hot, you like it iced. You don't like it in the pot for hours just sitting there lukewarm. And that was the condition of the water by the time it arrived at Laodicea. Imagine you get there and you want just a nice cold drink of water and it's tepid. It's lukewarm. That's the condition. And that's how Jesus, again, describes something that they would understand. He describes it to them of their spiritual condition. We can, we can laugh and joke about the fact that we could, we could strain down some lukewarm water or even coffee if needed be. But we can never tolerate lukewarmness in our spiritual lives. We should never tolerate that. And then we go on into verse 16 and it starts to get even stronger, the language that Jesus uses. He says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, the ESV says, I will spit you out of my mouth. The King James says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Neither of those uh, translations in my mind give the full force. I, I prefer the New King James and even the New American Standard here, which is the literal idea. And I understand why the translators didn't use it is because it may be a little too graphic. But the word literally means I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not spitting you out. Maybe spewing is an okay word, but he is literally vomiting you out of his mouth. That is the idea. To be lukewarm in the sight of Christ makes him sick. That is the idea that is saying they weren't on fire. They weren't the frozen chosen. They just didn't care. They were just indifferent to everything spiritual. They lost their passion and they were going through the motions. 
if in fact they ever even had it to begin with. Now again, I want to reiterate to you this morning, because I don't want to cause undue grief or cause lack of assurance when it's not needed. But I do want to cause you to examine yourself where it is. Every believer at times fluctuates in their spiritual temperature, if you will. I'm going to be honest with you. I am not always a 10 on the scale when it comes to my zeal for God. I have days where that drops down several notches. I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think we all live perpetually as a 10. Certainly, I hope that none of us live perpetually as a zero on the scale. We probably move up and down somewhere in between that range. But on this, Laodicea didn't care. They didn't take an inventory of where they were at. They felt like they were good, and that was good enough for them. They had at some point in time came forward at an, at an, at an evangelism event, prayed a prayer, got dunked in the water, received their Bible and certificate, and that was good enough for them. They didn't care what their life looked like. They didn't care if they served. They didn't care if they obeyed. They simply were indifferent. And that is a picture of exactly what we see in so many churches today and in so many professing believers today. Today, When you don't care about your spiritual well-being, that is a dangerous, dangerous place for you to be. Jesus says to them, if you're in church and you claim the name of Christ and you call yourself a believer and you don't care about the things of God, you don't care about obedience to the Word of God, He is going to vomit you out of His mouth. That is what Jesus said. That's not my opinion or anyone in the church's opinion. Jesus Himself says He will vomit you out of His mouth. Let me show you a story in the book of Acts about a guy that I think is a picture in a sense of, of what we see happen in a lot of churches. His name was Simon. He was a sorcerer. He did lots of great works, if you will, through black magic. Don't ever think that the devil can emulate some miraculous things. He sure can. There's a lot of stuff today that passes for Christian that is nothing more than New Age pagan Wiccan and all kinds of stuff. You better be careful what you gobble down that calls itself Christian. It's not all Christian. It doesn't all have Jesus as its source of power. Just because it looks miraculous doesn't mean it came from the hand of God. And I think Simon is a picture of that. Listen to what it says in Acts 8, verses 12 and 13. So there's a revival taking place. Lots of folks genuinely getting saved through the ministry of a guy named Philip. And so it says, but when they, this crowd of people, believed Philip as he preached the good news, he preached the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Here's the guy we're talking about. Even Simon, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. In just about every Baptist church in America, the congregation and probably the pastor would have affirmed that Simon was a true follower of Christ. Initially, he did everything that everyone else did. He believed, he got baptized, he joined in with the crowd, and we would say, Amen, he is a follower. Because listen, all we can go by as human beings is what we see in a person's life. All we can do is be fruit inspectors. We are not the Holy Spirit, and a lot of Christians try to be. 
You're not the Holy Spirit. You have your own mess of sins to deal with. You don't need to go around and convict everybody else of their sins. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, we are to speak the truth in love. We aren't to just simply let people go off in their sins and never say anything to them. Because if we love them, we ought to, as believers in a local church, hold one another accountable. But it's not our job to go around and try to fix everybody. We can't fix ourselves. The Holy Spirit, what Jesus said, when He comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. That's His job. Our job is to simply encourage where it's needed, rebuke and correct where it's needed, and live together in harmony as we all are trying to follow Jesus the best we can. And we need each other through the good times and the bad. Simon looked like he fit the bill, didn't he? Everything that he did seemed to go just in line with everybody else. But guess what? We talked about Judas in Sunday school. And for the three and a half years that he followed Jesus around, he pretty much fit the bill too, didn't he? Now, he was secretly stealing some money out of the purse. We know that through John's Gospel. But overall, even at the Last Supper, the disciples, when Jesus said, one of you is a devil and will betray me, they all said, who is it? They didn't all say, well, obviously he's talking about Judas. We've watched him and we know it's him. They didn't know. He fit the bill too. You can blend in in church is what I'm saying. You can learn the lingo, buddy. You can spend enough time to know the songs and know when to stand and know when to sit, know when to throw a little money in the plate. You may even be good at praying and finding the Bible verse when the pastor calls it out. That in no way, shape, or form means you're right with God. It means you've learned some religious stuff along the way. Now again, that's all good stuff. But it should be done from a heart of obedience. It shouldn't just be done to mimic things and fall into a religious routine. Jesus offers to change your life. He offers to cause you to be born again so that you don't have to fake this stuff. The most exhausting thing on earth to me is faking the Christian life. Because you know deep down that you are not truly attached to the source of life. And so you're trying every day to produce life in your own self. And man, you fail miserably. And yet you just keep on trying to do it that way rather than just getting connected to the source of life, which is Jesus. So how do we know then that Simon wasn't a believer? How do we know then that this was all just a show and that nothing had really changed on the inside? With the passing of time, the evidence showed itself to be true. The Bible talks about the fact that there are some times where seed falls on good ground and it springs up and for a season it looks good. But when the sun comes out and it gets a little bit hot, there's no root and it dries up and dies. Listen, we need to be careful sometimes about immediately jumping on with two feet every time somebody makes a profession of faith. I'm not saying we ought to be skeptical about everybody that comes. We ought to rejoice with them. But I think in wisdom, we take some time before we throw them into positions or before we pronounce them you know, to be all in all in Christ. I hope and pray they are. But their fruit will bear witness to that. Look what happens with Simon just a few verses later. Verses 18 to 23. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So at this time, God is building the church. It's a, it has just begun. And so there is still some conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Peter and some of the other men go down and they observe the Gentiles. They lay hands on them. And God shows them the evidence that they are believers by then sealing them with the Spirit. That is obviously not how it works today. The moment you believe, you are sealed with the Spirit. The church is now established. It's built of Jew and Gentile. We know 
no longer need those signs. But in the new church, it was a way to bring together two people groups to show that, yes, the Gentiles are in fact being saved by the same gospel and faith in Christ. They are no different than the Jews. They don't need circumcision and all the other rituals to become a believer. And so they, they lay hands on these men. The Spirit comes into them. And Simon sees that. Listen to what he, sa- what he does. He offered them money saying, Give me, give me this power so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Simon used his magic to become very wealthy and powerful. And he saw this as an opportunity to use the things of God to gain more money and power. The evidence that his heart was never really changed is he went back to the same person he used to be. He went back to the same things and stayed in the same place where it used to be. All of us at times get pulled back into our own old sinful life. But if you're comfortable to live there again, there's something wrong. If you can go back there and stay there and say, this is just like home, I like it here, there's something wrong. Because when God changes your heart, you can never again enjoy the things that you used to enjoy. Oh, sin is pleasurable for a season. If it wasn't fun, it wouldn't be tempting to you. But you know, as a believer, you know the load of guilt and shame that sin brings after you indulge yourself in it. If you don't feel that conviction, if you don't feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit and the desire to get back to Christ, there's something wrong in your life. Something severely wrong in your life. He says to that, give me this power so that whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. He says to them, uh, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity that's what Peter said to this professing Christian he said listen your heart is wrong you are not where you need to be you are not following the Lord at all you need to repent and get right with God immediately Peter had no problem speaking the truth he loved Simon enough to tell him. And oftentimes it's difficult. We may, have, we may have shied away from that. We may have never had that conversation with Simon. And how many people would he have led astray, including himself, had Peter not had that conversation? We need to speak the truth. If you are lukewarm today, you're in a dangerous place if that is the condition of your life and you could care less. You could care less any longer. I think about all the things that Jesus has done for us as His people. And I ask, how can we remain indifferent to that? When we think about the cross, when we think about what Jesus endured for us, when we think that He would willingly lay down His life and shed His blood when He didn't have to, and He didn't deserve to go through that, but He wanted to go through that because He loved us that much. How can we be indifferent to that? How could someone give such a price? And we say, I don't care. I don't care if he did that. You may say, I'd never say that. Your actions say that. Your life says that. How can we be indifferent to the cross of Jesus Christ? How can we be indifferent towards the love of Jesus? We fail Him daily. We sin against Him. We spit in His face. And He continues to come to us and offer us another chance and another chance. You're here today if you're lost and you're getting yet another chance to turn from your sins and trust Christ. And you say, no thank you. I'm going to just continue to do it my way. I'm going to stay in my sins. I'm going to get to heaven by my own good works. You are indifferent to the love of Jesus Christ for you this morning. 
I pray that He would open your eyes to see how much, he's loved, how much He loves you and how much He's done for you so that you could be redeemed. How can we be indifferent to the needs that are all around us? There are people that have so many needs and we can't possibly meet them all. But each one of us can do something. Each one of us can serve somewhere. Each one of us can sacrifice a little bit of time and together we can see great things happen for the Lord. But when we're so indifferent to say, well, those youth up there, they're in good hands. George and Melody are going to take care of it all. They can do it all. They're two people. we got a whole church full of people that should be pouring into these youth. Thank God for youth leaders. But you all should be youth leaders. You all have something to give to these kids. We all have gifts and abilities that differ. We can't all do everything. But it is our duty as believers that when we see a need, we ought to try our best to meet that need or at least assist somebody else that is. But when we're indifferent towards the things of God, what does that say about us? When we can walk past the need and walk past the need and walk past an opportunity and never think, maybe I ought to do that. Maybe I ought to get involved. Maybe I ought to give up this so that I can help with that. Maybe I ought to invest in eternity and lay aside some of my worldly things. It's a dangerous place when we stop caring about the things of God. And ultimately, if you stay in that place too long, it may point to the fact that you aren't one of His. And ultimately, on Judgment Day, you'll find out as He vomits you out of His mouth. That is the seriousness of being and staying lukewarm. It may point to the fact that you'll hear depart from me, I never knew you. I say that today to challenge you to examine yourself if God is speaking to you. Again, I'm not talking about the fluctuating scale where all of us, myself included, are not always a 10. I'm saying, has your life over the years shown that you really don't care that you're here today because somebody drug you here? Mom and dad made you come. But if it was up to you, you'd be home right now doing something else. You could care less about the things of God. Your Bible sits on the shelf. You don't pray any longer. You don't care about fellowship. You don't care about obeying. Every chance you get to sin, you run after it. And you could care less. You're waiting right now for this message to end so you can get out of here and do something else. You're indifferent towards the things of God. That's a dangerous place to be. And here's why this is so hard. Here is why as a pastor... This is the hardest thing I believe in ministry for, for anybody that works in ministry is what we see in verse 17. Laodicea says, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. The reason why it is so hard for anybody in ministry to reach people in this condition is because they have a false perception of themselves. I would rather witness all day long to a crowd of atheists and a group of people that think they're saved and aren't. Because you can, you, can, you can talk to an atheist and you can go... And now again, we can't save anybody. It's the Spirit of God that's got to open their eyes. But they, they don't believe in God. They curse God and they'll admit that. But false professors, they don't believe in God either. They curse God with their life. But they think they're fine. They think that everything's good. Because when they were five at vacation Bible school, they raised up their little hand and said, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. They walked an aisle and signed a card. A preacher got down and prayed with them, gave them a certificate and dunked them in the water. And they can point back to that every time. Here it is, 30 years ago. Here's my certificate. I'm good. 
family back there that we just baptized today, Peggy, your family, thank God for them. I thank God that we got to do that, and I am in no way, shape, or form saying that what they professed today was not true. But because I'm going to give them a certificate today that they were baptized, they're not going to stand before Jesus and say, here's Pastor Chris's certificate. He said, I'm good. He said, I could come in. That's not how this works. You must be born again. Based on their profession of faith and their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, they followed in obedience to baptism. I can dunk you in that water. We can put bubbles in there and rubber duckies and you can float around in there until the Lord comes back. That will not cleanse you of your sin. There are churches today that think that they need to get baptized. Joyce, we talked about it. And there is nothing, there's not enough water on earth to wash away your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. And that's what the Bible teaches over and over for us. But none of that matters if your life doesn't prove that a change has taken place. You don't work for your salvation. I'm not saying this morning that if you're not living for Christ that you better double down on it and try harder. I'm asking you, are you a follower of Jesus? That's the first question. Not work harder. Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? And does your life bear evidence of that? If not, the answer is not try harder. It's surrender to Jesus. It's repent and believe the Gospel. That's the answer. Not try harder. Jesus says to them, you think of yourselves this way, but here is my perception of you. He says to them, you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiable, poor and blind and naked. He says to them, your condition is much different than what you think. And I think we could turn that towards ourselves. We all have a perception of ourselves, And if we are honest, we'll bring the scale down a little bit for us. We will. We all do that. That's why it's so easy to compare yourself to other people. Because you can always find somebody that's worse off than you. You can always find somebody that's more messed up than you. And that's what lost people do about the church all the time. Well, look at them. They think they're all so high and mighty and holy and great and righteous. I live a better life than them. And a lot of times they do if we're just talking about morality. I know some very, very wonderfully moral people that don't believe. I do. Listen, there's Mormons and Buddhists and, uh, you know, you name it, that don't believe in Christ, that do all sorts of good deeds and good works. But according to the Word of God, and this is where it gets controversial for some folks, by faith in Christ alone... Can you make it to heaven? It's not by your works. And a lot of times when you preach that message, people say, well, how intolerant of you. How intolerant of you to say that those Muslims and those Buddhists and those atheists that do so much good but don't believe in Jesus, they're not going to go to heaven, but you are? Listen, the only reason I'm going is because of Jesus. And the only reason that you're going is because of Jesus. I'm not standing up here at all and tooting my horn because I know who I am. I'm worse than I think. I know that. But I know enough to know that I could never and do not deserve heaven based on Chris. I used to think I did. I used to think I was good enough. You know why? Because I'd compare myself to the worst and say, well, I'm better than them. So when I stand before God, He may send them to hell, but I'm better than them. And that's not how it works. We will lower the bar, and that's what Laodicea does. But Jesus gives them a microscopic view of their heart. He's going to show them, and He will show us what our heart really looks like. Let me ask you, you may have said so far, Pastor, I'm not lukewarm. I may not be on fire, but I'm not lukewarm. Well, let's dig a little deeper. Let's just dig a little deeper. 
How concerned are you for revival? We talk about that. And I'm not just talking about revival for out there. I'm talking about for our lives. For revival in our lives. How much do you want the power of God on your life? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us as God's people were on fire for Him? That we had the power of God on us that people could just look at us and say, man, I see God all over that person. I see the Spirit of God all over that person. I want that in my life. I want that every day of my life. Because when you walk with God and when you follow God and when you believe God, He will do things through you. He will do things through you. Listen, God left the church here on earth to do His business. And we've sat on our hands and we've twiddled our thumbs because we've been lukewarm for too long. God can do great things still through His people. The problem is we're indifferent. The problem is we don't care enough to get busy enough to see the things happen. We don't make ourselves available. If you make yourself available... God can do stuff through you. But God can't do something through you if you're not available. God can't use you in this church if you're not in this church 90% of the time. That's the reality. If you want to be used by God, you've got to show up for God. And when you show up for God, buddy, He'll show up and show out through you. I guarantee it. I guarantee He will. Are you concerned about that? Not with your lips, but with your life. Are you crying out to God for the lost? We all have people in our families that are lost. You ought to have holes in the pants leg of your knees where you're on your face crying out to God to save those people. If we believe that there is a hell where lost people will spend eternity and we have loved ones that are going to kick down the doors of hell if they don't change and if they don't come to Jesus, how can we be indifferent and not be on our face praying for them? How can we not be sharing the gospel with them? How can we not be witnessing to them every day? It's because we've thrown up our hands and say, well, I've tried. I give up. Don't be indifferent about that. Somebody didn't give up on you. Somebody kept coming to you when your heart was hard and cold and you didn't care and they kept telling you about Jesus. And at that time, He got your attention and you answered that call. Don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on your friends that are lost. Are we faithful? Are we serving Him? And you might think, well, Pastor, that's what fanatics do. That's the... That's a, Leonard Ravenhill and A.W. Tozer used to preach about these things all the time. If any man really gets on fire for God, the church thinks they're nuts. The church looks at people that really love Jesus and are sold out, and rather than encouraging them and supporting them and saying, man, I want to be like that person, they say, that guy's a nut. He's absolutely crazy. He goes to church three times a week. Can you believe that? He gets up early to go to Sunday school. He's nuts. What's wrong with that guy? He's out there witnessing the people. He wears Jesus shirts. He's always happy. He must be on drugs. He's nuts. If you read the book of Acts, that's just a normal Christian life. But we are so indifferent that if somebody just lives normal, they are nuts. Because it's so rare nowadays. It's so rare nowadays for somebody to really take this serious. To really think that the Word of God is true and live it out. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. Somebody said that a, that a church is, is kind of like an airplane. It's the only vehicle that doesn't have brakes, and when it's not moving forward, it's going down. We need to be going forward in our lives every day. We're not always a 10, but let's keep moving forward in our lives. I'm not trying to beat you up for being imperfect because that's all there is on earth is imperfect people. That's why we need a perfect Savior. But don't settle into being indifferent. Don't settle into being cold. 
Strive for holiness. Strive for obedience. Strive for faithfulness. Because Jesus tells them that there is a reward coming if they will press on. He says to them that you could buy from me the gold refined by fire. That you could have the true white garments. That you could have the salve that really would open your eyes. All of the things that they thought they had in their own material strength are truly found in Jesus. What are you settling for today that's a cheap substitute to Christ? All this stuff in this world is nothing more than a substitute for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's not. There's nothing wrong at all with enjoying life. God gave us life. And we should enjoy it. We should enjoy the things that He has blessed us with. But we should enjoy them with a loose grip. We shouldn't hold on to them so tight and they shouldn't, shouldn't certainly replace Him. We shouldn't love the gift more than the giver. But many times we do. But Jesus says to them, if they will repent. Look at what He says. He said this over and over to the churches that He's talked to in verse 19. He says to them, those whom I love. He's giving this message. I'm bringing this message because I want you to know the love of Jesus. It's not that we're up here saying, you're bad and you're wrong and you're this and you're that and we're going to pound you into submission. We want you to know the love of Jesus. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. Catch back on fire is what that means. Catch back on fire and repent. That's what Jesus is saying in Revelation 3.19 in that verse. He's telling them, I can relight your fire. Or I can light it for the first time if you need it. Come back. Repent. Repent of your laziness. Repent of your indifference. And serve Jesus. And then verse 20, we see probably a verse that we all have heard a million times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Again, who was this letter written to? A church. Many times we turn this into a personal evangelism. And while there is an application there, in this sense, in context, he's knocking on the door of the church. He's saying the church is indifferent. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking at the door of the church. Now, the church is made up of individuals. Correct? He's speaking to individuals, but He's speaking to them collectively within the body of Christ. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in and dine with him. The Greeks had three meals, kind of like what we do. They had a pretty big breakfast when they got up, a little tiny lunch, but then, buddy, they went all out for dinner. For supper, they called it. Jesus said, I'll come in and sup with you. I'll come in and have this fellowship meal with you. I will sit and commune with you. That's the idea that Jesus is saying. If you will repent and catch fire for me, I will walk with you. I will be in communion with you. There's nothing better than being in communion with God. There's nothing better than that. Imagine, I was thinking about two verses when I put this message together. Let me give them to you. James 2.23 is one. It says there, And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Isn't that something? Isn't it something that God would look down on a human being and say, That's my friend. That is my friend. Why did he say that? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham went out and did a bunch of things. It wasn't that Abraham was the biggest giver in the synagogue. It was because he believed and God's righteousness was on him. And listen, Abraham lived a life of faith. Abraham wasn't perfect. He lied about who Sarah was to get out of trouble. He didn't always make right decisions. He doubted God. He did a lot of stuff that we do. 
But he was righteous because he believed. And you're righteous today because you believe. And that belief should live out in the way that you carry yourself. And because of that, God said, that's my friend. Can you imagine one day when you stand before him and he calls you by name and says, come on in, friend. I'm glad you're here. What about that? John 14, uh, 15, 14. You are my friends if. There's a condition there. You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's not saying that you're saved by works. He's saying that you will prove that you are connected to me by the way that you live your life. And the life of a believer should be an obedient life. It should be a faithful life. Not perfection, but striving to do the things that God wants you to do every day. The result of that salvation, and we'll close with this thought, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Think about that. As I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says, through Him who loved us. And if we continue to serve Him and run our race with patience and endure to the end, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful service, servant. Enter into the joy prepared for you, friend, my friend, the one that I love, the one that I died for. But I have to ask you, as we close, where are you in your Christian life? Are you a Christian? Are you truly a believer? Not because you think so. Not because you can hold up the Bible that somebody gave you with your name imprinted on the front of it when you got baptized. I'm asking you, has your life been changed since you met Jesus? As in, as in, and is it continuing to be changed? Do you want it to be changed? Do you even care? Or are you saying, man, I wish he'd get done so we could get the fridges before the line gets long? <laughs> Listen, again, we all get indifferent at times. But you can't be indifferent with your life. You've got to ask yourself this question. Do you know Christ? If you died today, are you 100% certain, not based on your perception, but based on what the Word of God says, that if you died tonight and you stood before a holy God, that you are redeemed because you have trusted Jesus and turned from your sins, and He has made you new. If you can't with 100% assurance say, yes, I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him until that day, if you can't make that profession with boldness and assurance in Him, then my friend, you need to get right today. Today is your opportunity. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I've been in church for 100 years. If I came up there now, what would people think of me? And they would say, I'm a deacon in the church. I'm the pastor of the church. I don't care what your title is. If you're not born again, you should be up here today saying, God, save my wretched soul so I don't go to hell. That's what you need to do today. And if you're a believer and you're lukewarm and you're not where you need to be, listen, it's not just going to change overnight and it's not just going to change by you not doing anything different. You have got to cry out to God to light a fire in you, to use you to be different. You guys got to say, I don't care what my kids at school think of me. I don't care what my neighbors think of me. I don't care if every boy don't like me and every girl don't like me. God will send somebody to your life when He's ready. He'll send somebody to love you for you and you won't have to pretend to be somebody you're not. You won't have to live like the world so that you can get somebody to make a TikTok video with you. He's going to send the right person into your life. And we compromise so much because of peer pressure. And it ain't just kids. Adults do it too. 
we stand around the water cooler and we listen to those dirty jokes and we even start telling them because we want to fit in. We don't need to fit in. We need to stand out. We need to be different. And if you're not there today, God can do something in your life. But you've got to make a decision today to go all in. If you're not where you need to be, change that today by repenting and coming to Jesus. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. I'm going to pray and we're going to stand. And I pray that you'll respond to whatever you need to do today. Father, we come to you today, Lord, at the end of this message just with a, with a heavy heart but a hopeful heart. That, Lord, the people in this church, the people online would understand that, Lord, we are living in the last days and we are living in the Laodicean church age. And there are so many that are lukewarm and so many that could care less about staying in that place. But God, my prayer is that we would be on fire here at this church. That each and every one of us, Lord, would have a desire every day to go out and make a difference. That we would see what we can do collectively and individually through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, give us that. Give us that desire. Give us those opportunities. Help us to be faithful. Send us, Lord. Use us. But we have to, have, we have to start with a willing heart. And I pray today that you would work that out in people's lives. And most of all, if someone's lost, that they would come today and receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, the person of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, don't wait, you come. No excuse.